And at that point in time, we're talking 2004, 2005, 2006 kind of time frame. Um, the, the, the circuit of Umphrey's shows was a lot more heavily, like they'd tour the Midwest three, four times a year, not once a year. But you'd see a loop through, through this area that I could jump on two, three times, four times a year. And it would go through basically the same, the same areas. And so I was getting to know people in those areas and, and it was like all about after shows. What can we do to make an after show? Like who's your local band that we could go do something with for an after show and, and, and kind of getting the idea that if we like promoted all these different towns that we could be like a second tier promotion agency that Midwest peeps would be one, a fan base group that would, that would support each other. That would like, was looking to just kind of tie a community around the, the Midwest and the music that's in the Midwest. Um, we felt like we meet the best people that we know and we love the Midwest scene as far as it, but it just is like spread out. Like you don't have these communities of people like you do on the West coast or the East coast where people are so much more densely populated that it's easy to have 50 or hundred people all hanging out that, you know, like it's hard to do that in the Midwest and, and like in these different pockets of these little cities, but at the time Humphreys is doing loops and loops. And so we were, we kind of amassed like a crew of people and it was, more or less like a flag to fly to say, hey, what's up? We're representing the Midwest. This is Dropped Among This Crowd, a podcast that dives into the music and community of improvisational progressive rock band, Humphreys McGee. Each week will feature a rotating schedule of insightful full show recaps, interviews with fellow Umphreys, members of Team UM, as well as other musicians who have been inspired by and or played with the band. This is your place for all the latest news and happenings within the world of Umphreys, helping keep you informed on what's been recently released or where you can catch the next show. I'm your host, Sarah Jaginiak. Thanks for joining me as we dive in. Are you prepared for what comes next? Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining me for this week of Dropped Among This Crowd. I hope that you were able to check out last week's episode where we broke down the September 18th show at the revamped TCU Amphitheater at White River State Park in Indianapolis, Indiana, and the impromptu journey the band took to Huntington Beach, California for the Afterburner Festival on October 1st. There is a link in the show notes for where you can listen to that if you missed it. And also, don't forget to check out the stream from the Indie Show on the 18th, available on Umphrey's YouTube page. Definitely make sure you give that a watch. Before we get into this week's episode, in case you missed the very exciting news, winter tour dates have been announced. Lots and lots of Northeast love, which... I am so here for. The dates announced will take us right up to the Iceland shows in March. And here is where the guys will be hitting up the first few months of 2022. January 14th and 15th, Terminal 5 in New York City. January 20th, the Town Ballroom here in Buffalo, New York. Ah, I'm so hyped for that cannot wait 20 minutes from my front door and it will be my first show back at my hometown venue the town ballroom since covid so it's 
really awesome and appropriate that the first band I see there um, is going to be Umphreys. So I'm very, very, very excited. Um, and that also happens to be my Brendan's seventh birthday. Awesome. After that, they're going to take it to the Landmark Theater in Syracuse on January 21st. January 22nd, the Palace Theater in Albany, New York. January 23rd at Penn's Peak in Jim Thorpe, PA. January 27th at Promo West Pavilion at Ovation in Newport, Kentucky. January 28th and 29th, the Fillmore in Detroit. January 30th at the House of Blues in Cleveland. February 9th at the Brooklyn Bowl, Philadelphia in Philadelphia, PA. Um, apparently, that Brooklyn Bowl in Philadelphia like just opened, I think, the weekend before Halloween or Halloween weekend or something. like They just opened. Um, so that's exciting for them to be playing at a new venue. February 10th at College Street Music Hall in New Haven, Connecticut. February 11th and 12th at the House of Blues in Boston, Massachusetts. February 17th at Express Live in Columbus, Ohio. February 18th at the Anthem in Washington, D.C. February 19th at the Ritz in Raleigh, North Carolina. February 20th, The Signal in Chattanooga, Tennessee. February 25th and 26th at exploreashville.com arena in Asheville, North Carolina. And the band makes their return to the belly up March 18th, 19th, and 20th. And like I said, that will take us up to the Iceland run uh, March 25th, 26th, and 27th. Tickets went on sale last Friday, November 4th, so you can snag yourself some. Unsure as to what is sold out when I'm recording this, but you will find a link in the show notes for everything you need. And another quick announcement for you before we get into the meat of this week's episode. Coming next week, the beginning of the massive, comprehensive recap of Umbol. The next three weeks, there will be two episodes a week. Yep, so six episodes total coming your way, Tuesday and Thursday. Five of them will be conversations I've had with folks about the weekend, and then an episode where I will chat about random facts, shenanigans, and share more of my personal thoughts on the weekend. A quick thank you to Patrick, Alex, Drina, Kyle, TJ, and Josh for their time. It was so awesome to chat with each of them about the weekend, hear each of their different thoughts and highlights, etc. I was not sure how I wanted to cover Umble, um, the podcast and the magazine and DATC Media didn't exist the last time that there was one. So I was kind of like, how do I cover this massive amount of music? Like, what is going to be the right way to do it? Um, But having multiple guests talk about it from their perspectives, I think, was a lot of fun. And I think it's going to be really enjoyable for you guys to listen to as well. 
So again, thank you to everyone who participated. And I already have lots and lots of grand ideas for the next Humble. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for all of this coverage coming your way starting next week. And if you're a member of the Crooked Conversations video community, videos of these chats will be added soon. My editor has been working his magic, shout out to Eric, and adding some of the photos that everyone took from the weekend to the videos, which is just so cool. And these pictures that people sent me, they're just so awesome. I love Ben Factor so much. Like his work is so awesome. These pictures are so great. So thank you to everybody that gave me their photos too. It would be awesome to add these to the videos. So if video is more your thing, you're definitely going to want to check that out. There is a link in the show notes where you can get all the information on Crooked Conversation packages and where you can sign up if you're interested or head to datcmediacompany.com. All right, so this week on the show, I am very excited and pleased to welcome Humphreys McGee Lighting Crew Chief, Sweet Lou. Louie and I cover a lot of ground during our conversation. Listening back during editing, I was like, oh, wow, we really did talk about a bunch. <laughs> Louie tells me what it was like growing up in Bay City, Michigan, how music came into his life, what he listened to growing up, and his first concert experience. We also talk about college and what drove his decision to become a mechanical engineer and how that background helped him later on down the road with his job with Umphreys. He tells me about his first Umphreys McGee show and we get into Midwest peeps and all of the incredible things that they've done and how they've connected so many people together It really blew my mind when he was talking about this and it's just like a little bit, you know, like he's only telling me a small little bit of what they've done. Um, So it was really incredible to hear more about that because I didn't know a shit ton about Midwest peeps. So it was cool to hear the history of that and how it laid the path to lead right to working with the band with merch and then moving along to his current position of lighting crew chief. Louis tells me about what it's been like working with Ben Factor and talks a little bit about what the audition process was like. He also talks about what he's up to when the guys are playing and tells us a little bit about what show day looks like for him. Louis also tells me what he never leaves for tour without. We talk about Summer Camp Music Festival and Rothbury Festival. He shares some of his favorite venues, some annoying parts of his job, his favorite UM original to hear live, and what he'd like to hear them cover. Louis also shares a little bit of what the experience of not touring normally in 2020 was like for him, what he learned, and the perspectives that he gained toward himself, his relationships, and just life in general. He also tells me 
what band, if he could work on a crew for any other band in history, who would he choose? He also explained where the nickname Louis even came from and just so much more. We talked about so much and this was just such an awesome, fun, great conversation to have. Louis's energy is just so infectious. I was smiling so hard after our conversation. And then when I was editing, um, listening back and editing, like I felt the same way. Like his energy is just infectious and bubbly. And I'm so grateful that we were finally able to chat. Um, he donated almost all, pretty much all the posters for the poster auction uh, that DATC Media did. And so since then, we've, you know, been emailing and, and conversing and stuff. And so to finally be able to have him on the show and get to know some more about him and his history with the band and all that, uh, it was really a pleasure. So I just want to say a quick thank you to Louie for taking the time. This was so much fun. So thank you. Do you create really rad fan art? Is your band wanting to get into the ears of umfreaks? Maybe your small business provides an awesome service and you'd like some like-minded clients to work with. Are you looking to hire some music-loving folks for your team? Perhaps you've had an idea for an umfreaks-themed podcast or something else that you just know this community would love, but you weren't sure where to start. Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company wants to help. With space available for your Umphreys-related show idea, social media promotion of your band, ad spots across the network, and so much more, Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company can help you be seen, heard, and reach tons of fellow Umphreaks, musicians, and other kind folks. Want to know more or have questions? Shoot an email to sarah at datcmediacompany.com. So here is my chat with Umphreys McGee Lighting Crew Chief, Sweet Lou. Enjoy. Just kind of start by telling me where you're from. Um, I grew up in Bay City, Michigan, which if you're from Michigan, then you put your hand up in the air and you point at a place on your hand to tell people where you're from. Um, I'm near your thumb and like the crotch of your thumb. Bay City's on the Saginaw Bay on the east side of the state. Um, uh, I, I grew up there all my life, like went to uh, went to high school there and everything. And then when I graduated high school, I went to school at Michigan Tech which is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. So I spent seven years living in the Upper Peninsula and enjoying Michigan Tech and all of the, uh, the, the wilderness and the, and the nature that um, the Upper Peninsula has to offer. Really fell in love with that and stuff, but there's not a lot of things to do work up there with. So, um, so I ended up moving downstate for a job when I got done with college and uh, I live in Lapeer now, which is, kind of close to Flint and um that's about it that's uh that's kind of where like as far as being from Bay City and stuff um I still like Bay City I still go there I still have friends there and it's about an hour away from my live where I live but I haven't ever 
I've never lived outside of Michigan or resided outside of Michigan. I've seen 48 states, but I live in Michigan and I love it here. Nice, nice, nice. So tell me a little bit about being a kid. What kind of kid were you? Were you a troublemaker or? No, I, I mean, yes, I was a troublemaker, but I didn't ever get caught. I was like the kind of kid that was always, always knew when to walk away from the situation at the right time so that I wasn't in the situation at the wrong time. Um, I mean, sure, I got in trouble with my parents and stuff, but I wasn't like a troublemaker kid, but I wasn't following the rules either. I was kind of yeah. a, I was kind of a, you know, figured, figured out ways to kind of, to kind of work the system, I guess, but you were a rule bender. Yeah, I was a real bender. <laughs> Got it. Um, I played sports. I swam competitively from the time that I was eight years old till I graduated high school. So um, between swimming and football and baseball, uh, that was a lot of my free time and stuff when I was in high school, which did keep me out of more trouble. Um, but uh, I, 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 uh, I really liked that aspect of high school. I guess I liked playing sports and I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed the, 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 the I enjoyed where I lived in Bay City because we kind of had like a, like, I don't know what you'd call it. Like, like, I didn't feel like we lived in the sticks. It's not a super small town kind of place, but like on the weekends, we'd go out and like find like a place to have a bonfire and hang out at somebody's, you know, backyard that usually butted up against the cornfield. And, and that was kind of how we, how we hung out. Like it was, it was out and on the back roads, you know, out in the, out out in the country a little bit, but it was really only five, 10 minutes away from my house. So that was kind of cool. Always having a place to kind of like, I don't know, when I was 16, 17, riding around in cars and just cruising and not really cruising town. Like some people would like go out and like cruise one strip of town over and over again. And Mm -hmm. I never really got into that or understood that. That always seemed like trouble to me. It always seemed like (laughs) you're just looking for it. Like you're putting yourself right in the mix of the city and you're just looking for it. Like our dream was to go out and like cruise a back road and hopefully not see any other cars. Like as long yep. as we're out there and we feel like we're totally alone. That was, that was kind of how I hung out when I was a kid. Um, I had lots of different friends from different places uh, in Bay City. I wasn't just like a high school kid. I had, I had kind of like met other people in different high schools and hung out with different eight, like not age groups, but just different, different cliques of people rather than just like one like I had my my jock friends and I had my coffee shop cafe friends and I had, you know, I had a few different like cliques of people that I hung out with. So I feel like that kept me kind of diverse in my high school experience. That's cool, though, that you hung out with everybody and you weren't just, you know, pegged into one group of people, especially right. in high school. That's really cool. That's it's sweet. tough. It's like this. Yeah, that's like you don't you don't meet a lot of people that are like that. Ironically, I'm still best friends with the person that was kind of like got me to be friends with people in a different high school. I'm still great friends with him too. So there was a reason we swam together and that swimming thing that I did, like we were swim, we swam together as kids and then we became friends. And then we were like, just cause we go to different high schools doesn't mean we can't hang out. And we, so I had a couple of different groups of friends, which just, which is kind of nice at times because high school can be weird, you know? And like, if, if like one group was being weird, I could just go hang out with some other people. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like I wasn't going to be friends with them in a few days or whatever, you know, whatever was going on kind of thing. For sure. For sure. For sure. So talk about then music. When did music start coming into your life? About that same time. I mean, when I was, it was like friend, friends had bands and they would have 
like these little shows at the coffee shop and I would go to that a lot and then they and then it was natural for me to like carry in their amps and stand around. I had, we made a t-shirt that we wrote staff on the back of it because I would like, so that I could get into the little coffee shop shows for free as if I was part of their crew and it would like kind of work me in somehow. So I don't know, I've been a roadie forever as far as, as far as <laughs> bands go. Um, I never, I never really aspired to like play in a band. I, I took piano lessons when I was a kid and, and I obviously appreciate music, but it never really like clicked with me to the point where I just like I was obsessed with it, but I, I loved being around it. So I would, yeah, I would, I would, I would follow them to their, to their gigs and like set up their stuff or just carry stuff in mainly and, and uh, act as, act as the, as the pseudo security person. When there wasn't <laughs> anybody and <laughs> I love it. That's so funny. <laughs> so what kind of music then were you into growing up? If you weren't like super into it, but were there any bands that you were really into? Um, growing up, it was, it was, uh, it was a mix of things, but like my first love was like Metallica and, and heavy metal, but Metallica for sure. I mean, I remember having, I, and Justice for All when I was like in third grade, Master of Puppets before that, like I was, I was way young. Like I know I have little nieces and nephews now and I'm like, you can't listen to that. Like, what are you, no way, <laughs> no way but that was what I had found it so we were different kids that's why yeah, different kids. <laughs> so um so yeah it was that and then it was like like it was always kind of metal and I liked I liked like a heavier sound but at the same time um the sound the music that my friends were making at the coffee shop and stuff really wasn't that it was more like Pearl Jam and kind of like like I, it wasn't really indie then that was pre indie times it was more grunge but but like like nirvana smashing pumpkins radiohead sonic youth that kind of jam where it was like that like they're kind of imitating that pearl jam and stuff um and i liked all that music and it and it resonated with me i'd say out of that like the cure was my favorite i really liked the cure in high school and like really resonated with the cure and u2 at the time i liked early U, i still like early u2 stuff um so it wasn't all just metal or like all just heavy like i liked i liked like a mix of things um then like in like later high school and stuff i would like listen to rap with my friends and got into different rap that but never really country i never really went country at all i mainly rock rap and and uh and some grunge heavy metal kind of stuff yeah yeah i feel you on that one so when was your first concert like your big concert when someone asks me that i always say it's white zombie I saw him when I was 16 at the Saginaw Civic Center. The Ramones <laughs> opened for him. And uh, that was definitely like my first real concert experience. Prior to that was like all these coffee shop shows and stuff. And I had been to, I had been to a few things when I, I was real little, but I wouldn't call those concerts, you know, like, like my first, what I would call concert experience was definitely, was, was that White Zombie show. Um, it was cool. I, I, I was like, I was, I was, I was blown away by the production of it and like what was actually going on and like this, the people and the experience of it all. I remember Rob Zombie being out of breath though. And I was like, that's weird. He's like, it's, it's, so he's like, but, but in reality, it's, now I would give anything to hear some people out of breath, like yeah. singing real, like singing the song and being for real about it. Like that's what he was doing, dude. He's running around on stage a lot. 
So you should I, be I, out of breath. <laughs> should be out of breath. It's not supposed to sound like the radio. So I, 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 I remember thinking that like somewhat like I'm a little let down by that. But in retrospect, it's like, no, dude, he was, that was a show. That was, and it was, it was cool. That's very cool. That's a hell of a first fucking show. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> like, all right, here we go. <laughs> yep. Yep. So what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were a kid? So, so I took it, I was always, I was always pretty good in math and sciences and stuff. And I didn't ever have that thing when I was a kid where I, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I took an aptitude test in eighth grade and the aptitude test told me that, that, that I was, I, I, I like, like correlated between pay and your skills. And I matched it up to mechanical engineering. So then eighth grade, I just decided I'm going to be a mechanical engineer. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to, I just decided that. And so I uh, spent the next, like throughout high school, see, like going towards that. And then, and then went to Michigan Tech, just, just like on that course. But it wasn't because I ever really truly thought through like what I wanted to be. If I was going to go back and like, like do it all over again and tr like try to pursue a career differently, I think I would have really enjoyed automobile like like design not not engineering side I, I got into the engineering side and then was totally disenchanted with like the the like working in the automotive industry from an engineering standpoint and being and being a part of the of 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 corporate production from an engineering standpoint is very stressful and there's it's rare that people get into a situation where they can be creative or have any kind of creative output. It's, it's, it's just regimented, like check this box and do this thing. And so while I can follow along with it and I can understand it, I didn't really, it didn't really like really speak to my creative side and stuff. Um, so I, I didn't fall in love with engineering the way that I think people should when they go to college and they are seeking a career and it's like, it's like, this is what I want to do. I can't wait to get out of here and do this. Um, had I, had I really thought about it, maybe when I was younger, I loved drawing and I drawn my, like I had drafting classes and I'd always be drawing cars and I was always doing that. But I somehow, I think I, I, um, what do you want to say? I was naive in my youth to believe that I could just take like an engineering career and, and, and degree and just jump into automotive design. It's a whole different deal. And it's how it's a lot more art based, which, which I think I, I think if I, again, if I could just do it over, I would, I might go that direction, but that would have put me in a different spot and we probably wouldn't be talking right now. So everything happens yeah. for a reason. And, and I, I don't, I don't, um, I guess speaking towards the engineering part of my, my knowledge and career now is that that's what gave me the opportunity to be lighting crew chief. Like I wouldn't have my job and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to cross those boundaries if I didn't have that background and didn't, didn't go through school to have that. So, and then work at a company that like did manufacturing of large equipment of electrical type nature. It was an induction heating facility, which we could, that's a whole different hour. Um, but the, <laughs> but, the, but I, I was predisposed to it. So when I, when I, um, when I started the job with Humphreys and there was some power on stage and you plug lights into it and you got to understand how a distro works. I, it was like, Oh yeah, sure. I get that all day. So um, I guess it all works. Everything happens for a reason. Um, mm -hmm. But, but it was, but it was, 
I never really, never really was like, I'm going to be this when I grow up. I was going to be an engineer because that's what the aptitude test told me. And, and subsequently, I've told all my nieces and nephews and my, and my cousins, I'm like, you make sure you know why you're going to college. If you don't know why and you don't think you are totally into doing it, then take some time off. You don't have to do that. It's okay. And if you come back to it and you're totally into it, it's school is going to go so much better for you. And that's where I, that's my best advice as far as that's concerned. But I, I don't, I don't, I, I value it highly. I don't, I don't have any, like, I'm not saying you don't need that or whatever. Like I, I'm super appreciative for the, for the education that I got. It just was weird that it, when I got done, it wasn't like, I can't wait to do this. It was like, eh, okay, it's a job. I'll go do my job. And it kind of didn't, I didn't, I didn't excel there. Like I thought I would, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's great advice. I, that's what I tell my kids about college too, is, you know, go and make it be for something you want, not for something you feel like you're supposed to be doing to, to make a certain amount of money or because everybody else is doing it or, you know, go because it's a passion because you want to go. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's how you can have your best success in, in secondary education or any, anything that you're seeking to get some kind of training in. If it's, if you're doing it, cause you're following, cause you're, going through the motions or following the pattern, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot harder to get as much out of it as if you're passionate about it. Definitely. For sure. Music was always super important. Like all those, all those days of going to coffee shop shows and stuff. Like I took that to college and like there were little bands. I was all about them. And like, and it was, I I always loved seeing music and, and Midwest peeps was me moving downstate after I lived up in, in, in Houghton and uh, meeting some people in, in downstate Michigan where we were like going to shows and stuff. And at that point in time, we're talking 2004, 2005, 2006 kind of time frame. Um, the, the, the circuit of Umphrey's shows was a lot more heavily, like they'd tour the Midwest three, four times a year, not once a year. So you'd see this loop that would be like, 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 I don't, I can't remember them, but you'd see a loop through, through this area that I could jump on two, three times, four times a year. And it would go through basically the same, the same areas. And so I was getting to know people in those areas and, and it was like all about after shows. What can we do to make an after show? Like, who's your, who's your local band that is, who's your local band that we could go do something with for an after show. And, 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 kind of getting the idea that if we like promoted all these different towns that we could be like a second tier promotion agency that Midwest peeps would be one, a fan base group that would, that would support each other. That would like, was looking to just kind of tie a community around the, the Midwest and the music that's in the Midwest. Um, we felt like we meet the best people that we know and we love the Midwest scene as far as it, but it just is like spread out. Like you don't have these communities of people like you do on the West coast or the East coast where people are so much more densely populated that it's easy to have 50 or hundred people all hanging out that, you know, like it's hard to do that in the Midwest and, and like in these different pockets of these little cities, but at the time Humphreys was doing loops and loops. And so we were, we kind of amassed like a crew of people and it was, more or less like a flag to fly to say hey what's up we're representing the midwest we're not all about the west coast we're not all about the east coast we're right here in the midwest right here in the middle and like and i mean honestly that was an umphreys fan group it was it was for umphreys shows and then a way for us to to like 
tie together something else that was going on in that city or in that town or with that group of friends so that everybody kind of knew what everything was that was going on. Like there was a point in time where we took and made, we're making weekly MySpace like advertisements, like a whole like string of, of like, as if we were the promoters for every single show that was happening, that was like a, a second tier or third tier show that was in our circle of, of friends. Like, like they're, I know that they're friends with these people and they'd get kind of in the circle and we would talk about every single thing that was happening with all of them, just in an effort to kind of get more people to come out to Midwest shows, get more things happening. And like, I mean, that kind of culminated into, into Rothbury. Like, like for me, we were, we were full bore with Midwest peeps in 2008, 2009. And we were, um, I'm booking after shows, like, like the, the whole thing with like official Umphrey's after party, like we made that up like that. Okay. Exists, like that is because we wanted to be able to say this after party is endorsed by Umphrey's. And so if there's a different after party going on, you can go to that, but this after party is endorsed by Umphrey's, which then gave us an ability to put that after party on Umphrey's website. So it looked like it was connected to the show. So official Umphrey's after party just means that it's, that like, like it just sometimes it's just the words, but those words were enough to get us connect, like get us looking like we were so much more connected with what was going on. And then like, I don't know, like we would do things like we just wanted, we were just trying to like, make the biggest scene we could in in the Umphreys community and do it in in our way like like if you know everybody and somebody's getting out of line then you can be like dude like it's not okay we don't need to have that happening because at that point in time there really wasn't um that you know like there wasn't it was like it was like fish had gone away and and there, and it's like, there was like a, it was like, what's going to happen is if Umphreys blows up, what's our scene going to be like? Like, what if we have this thing going on where like, you've heard of like, stop panic. And I don't mean to, I love those guys and everything, but they, they, to have a situation where you have like a task force, that's literally been assigned to your band that, that is to follow your fans around and to make sure that they're being monitored and maintained. It was like, I never want to see that around Umphreys. I want it our fan base to maintain themselves so we just don't get that we just don't get that tag you know and that's that was part of that was all built into that it was like meet everybody like we used to make name tags and say hello it would say midwest peeps hello i'm and then there would be a spot to write your name in and then we just like write nicknames and throw them on people and like <laughs> hand out 200 name tags at the beginning of the show to like just like it's a sticker it, it, but it's a name tag and and then now, like, I see that person three, three months later, and they're like, you gave me that name tag, it's such, such a spot, and, like, it, it connects everybody, you know, so that's what the, that's what a lot of the Midwest Peep stuff was, was tying together what we already had going on, and then, and then trying to get new people to, to, to be a part of that, and, and then I started looking at it like it was potentially going to be a nonprofit that, could be like a conscious alliance or something of that nature. Again, I was just going to follow Humphreys around and, uh, and figure out some kind of nonprofit aspect. Like the first one and only one that we did this way was in St. Louis and it was for a new year's and we gave back, all, we gave back like 75% of our profit to a food bank that was in St. Louis. And, but that gave us the table inside of the, inside of the venue to sell 
official Midwest Peeps products like in the Umfree inside the venue. So that's when we made the Kitar pin and the and the first Haji pin and sold those pins out at that New Year's and I think they kind of like took note like Rachel and Vince and they're like Kevin were like ah uh, you guys sold a lot of pins because there was like not any that wasn't even happening yet. It's like you guys sold a lot of pins. Like, whoa, that's a lot of product you've moved at our New Year's this time around. Like, I don't think they really expected like the amount of turnout. And we had hit the that that was 2012. We had hit that or 2011. We had hit that 2011 to 2012 New Year's. We had hit that moment in time perfectly as far as pins were concerned. So it was a thing that we could make that like tied everything together in this nice neat little bow and it was like the it was like the it was the midwest peeps at that point it was we were pretty well known within the umphreys community as to who we were and stuff and i was looking to turn that into my job like that was going to be the job like i was going to just follow them around we did a test run after that and like and did west coast run in 2012 so that would have been like march 2012 did like west coast run and and i was like this is viable it could be doable we could and then went to summer camp and was kind of talking about that and stuff and then it was sometime in like july when i got really fed up with the job that i was at and had decided that like my it was my last day there when when i was asked why are you the most negative person here and I was like, if you, if that's really what, if that's really what's going on, then I gotta go. Cause I'm not a negative person. And if I'm viewed as the most negative person here, then I'm not in the right place. So I decided that I was going to quit. And that was on Tuesday. And on Thursday, I talked to Vince and he's like, might have a job for you. Might have a job. What do you think about doing merch for Humphreys? And that all happened well, and like, it's not like I called up Vince and said, hey, I'm quitting my job on Tuesday. It was two or three months earlier that I had said, hey, man, I might do this Midwest Peeps thing. Just be ready for me to be coming out. And 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 then it, it turned into like the perfect scenario. So. Um, so, yeah, that's how that's how that all started with me getting the job with with merchandise and then um we were driving because there wasn't enough room on the bus to do it, uh, to have somebody else like join the tour and be on a bus. And so Steve Britz, Riches and I, we drove the tour for till 2015. So from 20, late 2012 through 2013, 2014, and then begin, and then a little bit in 2015, we drove a car behind the tour and we're there at every show driving a car. So that was, that was a lot. That was over a hundred shows each year driving a car. Wow. Yeah. So that's how merch happened. That's how the, that all started. And then we were able to make everything work out so we could have that second bus for the crew. And it's been, it's been pretty awesome ever since. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Wow. <laughs> that's a lot of fucking miles. It was. <laughs> so then talk about coming over to lighting crew chief um i so starting with merch there was always a point in the day when the truck gets dumped and all the all the all the lighting comes off of the truck and gets built on stage and then once lighting gets built then backline gets built so 
merch kind of lives in the middle of the truck. So naturally I wouldn't even have access to my stuff until lighting got done. And I wasn't the type of person to just stand around and watch everybody do other things. So like, I remember, I don't even remember day. I don't even remember a day of day one, even doing that. I remember day one, like, what can I do, Bob? And then I was plugging stuff in and moving stuff around and like, and then like, then it just happened. So I shouldn't say, then it just happened. Then every day my, my job was to load in lighting. And once I finished loading and lighting, then I'd start setting up merch and then I'd run merch for the rest of the night and settle up merch at the end of the night. So <clears throat> it worked out that the timing was possible that I could, that I could build it each night. And then at one point we added, uh, we added somebody to be like the, the lighting crew chief so that there was a person that was dedicated to doing that. We didn't really have that position prior to that. And, and that worked out for a while and he kind of went his own way and we, uh, and it was just a natural choice at that point in time for me to be able to move to lighting crew chief. Um, a lot of that had to do with the fact that Sam had been helping me out a lot and Sam was well-liked by everybody in the crew and known by everybody and had some, had some prior experiences and stuff. So, um, you know, like with merch and, and selling things and just in general. So it, it that was also like a, an, a logical, obvious choice to kind of move him into merch and then to move me into lighting crew chief. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't without like, like, that's what I really wanted. There was a point in time when that's what I really wanted that I was like really hoping that that would happen. And it, and, and, and I never thought it would, I, there was a point where I was like, if, you're the guy that does merch, dude, like you're never going to do anything but merch. Cause like, who else is going to do what you do? And, uh, and Sam does it, Sam crushes it. It's I'm mm -hmm. so happy that we were able to find somebody that, that, um, is passionate enough and, and he cares more about it than I think I ever did. He, he really, he really takes it to the next level. So I, uh, I'm lucky that I got to move out of that spot. Cause I really like doing lighting. I like doing lighting. Lighting fits me a lot better. It feels more like, like what my education, my skill set is based is more based towards like, um, not that merch isn't, doesn't take some skills, but it, uh, it doesn't, it's not, it's not, it, I'm not dealing with, with power that could kill me. So at merch, yeah. I like that kind of, I like a little higher level. <laughs> you like that little risk to the job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> making, sure, making sure you rig everything right. So lights don't fall on people. For sure. For sure. So talk about bringing Ben factor in and what it's been like working with him. Um, well, after Jefferson um, retired, we were looking at at other people. We basically had a tryout period of 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 different people, um, and that came from a from conversations of multiple, you know, different different. It like all worked out. It was a big. There was a, quite a bit of 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 back and forth and conversation and how that was all going to go down. And uh, and there were three people that tried out, and of them, they all were totally qualified and capable and friends of ours too. And I, I, um, I had my reasons for liking each person differently. And Ben was the one that I didn't know the most, like he was the, he was the most wild card coming into it. And, uh, and I can, I, I mean, from day one, I can honestly say there's, there, there was nothing I'd never seen the band lit that way. I'd never, some of the things that he did, I'd never seen someone that on point 
And prior to that, during the, he was the last one to try out the other two guys that tried out, like, like I was helping them with the music. We'd sit down and go through the set list together. I'd look up all the songs. We'd think about like points where you could do this, or you could do that. You might want to think about this, like, like working with them to give them the best, like the best uh, chance of giving the best show they possibly could. Like, I just wanted to see everybody put on a big show. And I was stoked at that point in time to be a little more involved, like with the creative process of what it was going to look like. Not that I wanted to like change anything. Like it's whoever's the LD is going to do what they're going to do. And that's, that's what makes that position so unique, you know, like they're the artist. Um, but, but, uh, but with Ben, I was like, so you want to sit down and go through some songs? He's like, nah, I don't need to do that. I know him. I'm like, oh, you know him, huh? You know everything that's going on, huh? And like, and like to see him hit solos and hit hit people singing and hit like um, uh, to hit those the timing and to hit those spots so on point like from day like from day one and he's only he's gotten better but it was it was it was poignant like the like his tryout was poignant it was it was like the, I can't you can't ignore that like he's the he's the youngest he's got maybe the least experience at this point he's 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 like he's he, he's this wild card and it's like he's so good <laughs> he he's is so phenomenal. good and uh it's incredible and so, to watch him work and it so is. that's that's what changed that's what that's what made me you know uh put my vote in for ben and then and then and then have been thoroughly impressed over and over and over again with his creativity and his willingness to kind of to kind of think outside the box and do some things that aren't that aren't just like like what it's not just necessarily like picking different fixtures and having different stuff in different places or whatever it's it's thinking about like the whole deal um a great example, I think, is we've been having to play a lot of day, day sets during this COVID comeback time. A lot of these uh, drive-in shows or festivals or what, what have you, what, all the stuff that we've been doing, most of it was outside, and we'd have a first set in the daylight. And you can't, it's hard. It's really hard to do anything cool in the daylight. The lights don't carry as far. They don't have as much of an effect. It's, it's, there's, there's a myriad of things, but there's also some things that you could do that would be different that would just give you something to look at during the daylight. And there were so many times when he just like would pick some tasteful looks, uh, hazers blow out the smoke that you see. And the smoke is what, when it's nighttime or when it's dark, the, the lights then refract in the smoke. And that's how you get beams and get like, and you get shapes in the air from, from the lighting. It's a lot of that is the haze. Well, okay. when it's the middle of the day and the wind is blowing and the sun is shining on the stage, you're not going to see a beam anyway. And so many LDs will just run haze and it just looks like this weird cloud that's floating around the stage the whole time, but it's not adding an effect to the, it's not adding an effect to the lighting. It's actually just refracting all the sunlight. So all you're seeing is the cloud of haze and like Ben just didn't run haze. Like it's a day set. You're, you're, it's not going to look that great. I'm not going to run haze. I'm just going to like have first set, no haze. And as, as weird as that might sound it's like it's like it becomes ingrained into into a lot of LDs shows that they're gonna they're gonna do their show so you turn on the haze you start running the show you start doing the things that it takes to run your show and he's and he's he's still like at a I think at a point in his career too that he's 
he's like, now nah, I'll, I'll rethink it all. I'll, I'll reprogram the whole thing for this one set. And like, and it's, and it's really flexible. And I give him a lot of props for that because it's, it's, it's not, not everybody's like that. And, uh, and, and I think it gives us, I think it ultimately just gives us a better look. Like we just, it, it, we look more pro Ben, Ben brings a level of, of pro professional production to our, to our stage that I really appreciate. I completely agree. And I love how he draws inspiration from, I mean, he's written some things about it and he talked about like ACDC's like 83 tour. And he told me uh, the band, the 1975 and like their whole stage thing that he had inspiration from. So it's interesting that he is thinking about these different bands and sees these different things and wants to bring that to the table with Humphreys. I love that. Yeah. And, 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 and has more, um, wants to bring that stuff to the table and is willing to, and willing to like stretch the boundaries of what the, like our, like what are, what we can afford first of all, cause there's a budget to what we bring out. And so mm -hmm. he's, he's like, he's like, he's like, like picking different things that just that add that add a lot of effect, but not necessarily, but our, but our, what we find a way to do in our budget. Like he brought out these fixtures for Umbolt. They're called Pats. Okay. And a pat is, and is it, it's like, it's really just an effect. Not, it looks like a prop on stage. It doesn't have any lighting effect. It doesn't push light out of it it's to the effect, to the extent that it could like put a hue on the stage compared to the super powerful lights that we're already running. All it does is just give you this cool stage prop upstage. And, and so, you know, like some lighting guys would be like, why are you going to spend a bunch of money on that? It doesn't do anything. It just turns on a couple colors and it just looks like a prop. He's like, but I want it to have a feel. I want to have a different look for Rumble. And I think that these would add something that just isn't there and it'll be different. And he was totally right. It, it added a, an awesome effect, especially for the acoustic set. And it was, and it was, you know, again thinking outside the box and finding something that could could augment that particular rig um and that one is is another one where we go into the capital and they already have a bunch of fixtures that exist in the capital so mm -hmm. instead of trying to like fight the the like the the pattern that already exists in there he like totally went with it and then threw the pats in and then it was like capital monster capital look with these other cool things that that hadn't been seen in there or by us before either so that was I thought that was an awesome idea. For sure. For sure. He accents the music instead of distracts from it because yep. there's a lot of LDs that it's just, it's too much. And you're like, okay, what are we yep. here to see? <laughs> and that we talk about that a lot. Like, like you're there to see the band. And so you should always be able to see the band. There's moments where you can dark out and have some cool, you know, psychedelic effect that happens or whatever, but it should be an effect. It shouldn't be the whole show. And it definitely shouldn't be for whole songs. You know, like, like I'm there to see the band. I want, if I want to look at the stage and at any point in time, look at one person or another and see what they're doing. You should be able to do that. It shouldn't like, 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 and it, that's because that's the way that our band is, is presenting themselves too. It's, we're not tool. We're, we don't have somebody on a riser in the back in the dark. That's not, that's not our shtick. So, so while we can have those moments and make you feel like that, um, I, I do think it, it, that, that in order for Umphreys to, to be perceived as a larger band and to, and to 
have that more professional production look. It's so key that we get out of that pattern. And Ben, we talk about that quite a bit that like we're on the same page with that because, because that's what I do agree with you. That's what you see so often. And it's like, it's, um, what's the, what's the line that oh, no one walks away from humming the lights. No one leaves the show <laughs> humming the lights. You know, so you can be as great as you want, but really people aren't going to leave and be like, that's not what they're going to remember. That's not Mm going to remember from the show. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me where your nickname Sweet Lou came from. No, it's funny. My dad's actually here right now. So (laughs) when I was, when I was living in Bay City, um, my, and, and growing up, my dad taught high school for 18 years. So this is well before my time of going to high school. He taught high school and taught at this high school that we didn't always live there. But at this point in time, we had lived at this house for like four or five years. And it butted up to the practice fields of the high school. Like our backyard butted up to the to the high school's practice fields. So it was ideal. Like, like the junior high was right there and the high school was next to it. So I could walk to junior high and then it was going to, and I, and we did continue to live there through my high school years. So like, sports and everything like I never needed a ride I never couldn't get to school I just had to cross the field it was it was actually pretty awesome and and uh and so this is before I was in high school I was in junior high and I was about seventh grade I think it was sixth grade summer seventh grade something like in there and uh and the, the baseball players were doing some laps this is high school baseball they're doing some laps around the ba- practice field and they're like yelling Louie because that's my dad's name we know you're in there. Come out, come out wherever you are. Louie, Louie. <laughs> and as they're doing that, one of them says, look, it's little Louie. And they all <laughs> laughed. And my buddies that I was playing basketball with in the side yard lost it. They're like, little Louie. <laughs> and I'm like, don't call me that. Don't call me. I hate when you guys call me that. Don't call me little Louie. Stupid. And then like, and then I got into high, this is like seventh grade, eighth grade. They're still calling me that. I, I'm like, don't call me that. And then I get into high school and it's kind of sticking now. And my, and my coaches now my, and my dad in eighth grade, he did, he stopped teaching and went to a job with the MEA, the Michigan Education Association. So he still worked with education, but he, he was a, he was a, a representative for the MEA at that point. So that was awesome too, because he didn't teach at the high school that I went to, which that I don't, I had a, but I had another friend whose dad was teaching and while we went to high school and it was like, that's not, that's not very much fun. Um, (laughs) They all knew me. And, and so I knew that I had to like, I had to watch, I had to, I had to navigate high school because because everyone, all the teachers knew who I was and they all knew who my dad was. They taught with him for 18 years and we lived, we lived across the field. So, um, so, so we get in, then my coaches started calling me little Louie because they would tongue and Jade thought that was hilarious too. So then by the time I'm like high school senior, I'm, I'm, I, I'm little Louie. I'm Louie. It's just, it's there, but I'm like, I'm going to go to college. And at this point I'm like, I'm going to just, I'm going to buckle down and go to college. I'm going to buckle down. I'm going to really like start to manage my life differently. I'm going to study harder. I'm going to really change when I get to college because that's what I'll do. Right. Cause everybody just totally changes when they go to college. So I go to college. It's like orientation week. And I remember being at this party and, and someone's like, what's your name? And I'm like, Aaron, they're like, Eric. And I'm like yelling in their ear, Aaron. And they're like, what Eric? Huh? I'm like, it's Louie. They're like, Louie. 
and and uh and i just that was it i just stopped even introducing myself as aaron <laughs> I, just, I was louie from there on out and i and i i it's never it's i don't just really like, dislike being called aaron i just it's just when people it's like if you if you're if how do i explain it like if i'm out at an umphrey show and i'm like on the crowd somebody's like hey aaron i'm like well hey you don't really know me so i don't really know <laughs> what i'm supposed to do right now like you found me on the internet i know that for sure and now i have to navigate like how do we meet because it wasn't in person and it wasn't through one of my mutual friends of mine but how do you know me it gives me a little idea of who you are if you come up and throw an aaron at me i don't mind it it's not like a you know it's my name but uh but but i do i do i guess i resonate with louis now that's my <laughs> that's who i go by you you've embodied it it's it's yeah. you know i love that <laughs> that's a great story <laughs> so talk about during the show and the band is playing what are you up to um for first set i'm usually just kind of up on stage making sure that i'm making sure that everything's running there's nothing that's getting goofed up that the haze is is getting filled in that everything's going all right um I got a, I got to wear a in-ear piece. Like I wear one microphone from my belt pack so I can hear talkbacks and what's going on on stage. And then I wear another earpiece in so that if Ben needs to talk to me at any point in time, I got like the secret service style earpiece thing so I can hear him in the middle of a concert. So at any point I can either, Ben can get to me and I can, uh, and I can, Ben can get to me and I can talk to him. Um, about something that he might need on stage or whatever. But for first set, I'm usually pretty locked down on stage, right? Just kind of keeping an eye on everything and and following along with what's going on. Second set, I like to walk out to front of house and and take a look and just kind of get 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 a feel for what what the show looked like that night or whatever. Say hi to Ben if I have time. Um, I help out with some things backstage when it's when second set is going on. Uh, it's just always little things to do and organize or whatever. Um, and then, uh, and then by, by just before encore time, um, I break up the hands. So we usually have uh, eight to 12 hands that come every night to load us in and load us out. So at the end of the night, I kind of make a plan with the, with the leader of the, of the stage crews and I'll make, you know, kind of direct them on as to what our plan is going to be for that night as far as loading out um, and then start getting some things lined up to start loading out and then encore happens and, and uh and we start loading out and it feels like it goes about that fast every single night i swear uh, it feels I like about 10 minutes as soon as set one starts it's like set break okay um hi what's going on oh second set it's the end of the night let's get going let's load it out of here like it's it's it happens seems to happen really quick so um but 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 it maybe that's because like during the day we're just we're just constantly kind of following up with things making things right getting it all going especially with these outdoor shows and changing out with festivals and stuff um a lot of those we were loading in early and then waiting and then having to move stuff at when it was our set time or whatever um so so uh so yeah there's there's i'm ultimately responsible for making sure that the lights are operating during the show i mean my job during the show is to is to tech and support the lighting rig um but there's there's nights when 
nothing breaks and everything's going great and I don't have to do anything like that. So I have a little bit of free time and I can enjoy the show. But like the guys will come off the stage and be like, hey, how was that? And I have to be like, I don't really know. I didn't have a chance to actually listen because I can't, I'm not actually, I'm, I'm never at a point where I just can listen to a whole song or stand in front of it and actually just like take it all in. If I'm standing in front of it, it's for a few minutes and I'm kind of like staring at like, 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 dang it, I, we should have moved that light. I knew it wasn't in the right spot. It's totally hitting that thing that I thought it was going to hit, and it does. And I wish we would have moved that and done this. And it's like, I'm not, I come home and listen to Nugs, and that's when I can kind of take it in and actually, like, dang, that was a good show or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Well, you're, you got other things to, to worry about. So it's hard for you to focus. So tell me a memorable fan encounter good or bad. I mean, I'm sure there's some characters. <laughs> Memorable fan encounter, like for, for forever time. Yeah. Like good or bad, you know, like there's, I'm sure there's stories. <laughs> there's lots of stories I'm trying to think of like, a, I'm trying to think of a good uplifting, positive fan encounter story. There's lots of those too. Um, I guess, uh, let's come back to that. Let me, let me ponder that okay. for a minute. Let's come back to it. Think about that. All right. So okay. why don't you tell me, um, something that you need never leave tour for without. I never leave tour without my vape pen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, And it would be real, it would be awful. Like you, I can always find a sweatshirt and you know, like I have pants on, so those will last a couple of days. But if I forget my like dop kit, like toothbrush and toothpaste and deodorant and stuff, that's, that's bad. So yeah, I'd say I always, always, always make sure that I have that in my bag. Um, I carry a lot of cords and chargers and dongles and plugs and rechargeable batteries and cables and whatnot. Like recently we we're on a bus and it required a certain like required like the RCA to eighth inch cable that I had failed and I didn't have a backup RCA to something to be able to plug into something and I was upset about it so now I have like three different ways I can back that up and like it's all in my bag I have this bag that has like every cable that can connect to anything from pens to to anything you can charge through a USB to to anything you want to connect I'm I like like I, I got that so I guess that would be the other thing. Like I, I like, 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 I got like the Mary a, Poppins bag of cords. If you have a TV <laughs> in the hotel room and the TV has some kind of connectors on the back of it, I will connect to that TV and we will listen to music with it or I will play my computer on it or whatever. I got that. That's, <laughs> I'd say that's more, more in line with like what I'd never leave without. Cause it's like, it's all built into what I bring. And I, and I like do take pride in like, connecting us to random like stereo <laughs> we get on the bus there's always a stereo in the back lounge and it's like all right like what kind of cables does this one need and i'm gonna get on it get all connected <laughs> so we can listen to jams it's important that's fucking super important, important stuff. absolutely super there's important. been so many hotels i've been at and then you have the wrong cord and you're like damn yeah this sucks 
Yeah. All right. And then, and then, and then you'd hit up Louie and you'd be like, Hey dude, do you have this cord? And I'm like, yeah, dude, come on over 604. I got it. <laughs> I know this from now on. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me your favorite festival to work. Favorite festival to work. I mean, um, summer camp is my festival. Like it yeah. is, it's, it's, I love summer camp. Yeah. It's, it is the best, worst time you'll ever have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love it. And I don't know why, like, it's because I've been there forever. Like, I think, yes, I figured out this year, I think I've been there 16 years. I've been to summer camp 16 years. Um, from camping in the woods, not knowing anything from anybody to, to doing what I get to do now. Sam and I had the merch contract for summer camp this year, which had been a long-term negotiational thing like we both try been trying to get this for years so it was like really cool to finally like be doing it we're the merch guys for summer camp too and and um and it was a ton of work a ton of work but we uh but it was at this place that i just know so well and i know everybody involved with it and i knew how to navigate it and like and like i mean that's the ultimate uh that's the ultimate in terms of uh, it's my it's a family reunion like it yeah. like it it's at the it's at a township i'm not it's a, it's a family reunion and and it's and i love everything about it for what it is um as far as like like ultimate festivals it was rothbury and electric forest like when rothbury first happened that was again like midwest peeps was just popping off at that like not pop we were like on point at that point and so I went on Rothbury's website when it first, like I first got wind of it and, and found a page of contacts on the website. I think I got on there before like the admin realized like that this whole thing was live and like searched it out and found it because a few days later I couldn't find that page, but I had saved the page and saved all the contacts off the page. And I started emailing all the people that had anything to do with like promotions or production within the festival. And I was like, I'm the best street team you guys will ever find. I want a street team. This festival is so bad. I live in Michigan. Just let me get in on it. I just want to get on it so bad. And we did though, like between we had at that point we had Midwest Peeps Indy, we had Midwest Peeps Chicago, we had Midwest Peeps St. Louis, we had Midwest Peeps Michigan in a couple spots because we had Kalamazoo and Grand Rapids, and then over by Flint where we were at, we had all these satellite places set up with people representing in those places. So then I built a spreadsheet and we would talk about how many people were at the show, how many gifts, how many things we gave away. Like we had a spreadsheet of a hundred shows or show by the time Rothbury happened, like for real, like no street team's ever done this. Like no street team, like if they get the materials and can take some pictures of themselves, handing out the materials, you're like, good job guys. This was like organized, like full on. <laughs> I got 10 passes. I, I, I winged, I wielded 10 passes out of Rothbury for my street team extravaganza. And then we came into Rothbury, like, like, like with uh, with ten with ten passes and brought all of our friends and we got this RV from somebody and like that was awesome that was like that was that was that was it felt like I actually had something to do with the event taking place that was like the first time that something larger had happened and it felt like I actually was involved with the front end of it or whatever you want to say and uh, and um, then the next year that was two. two what 2008 I think is when it first happened and then 2009 was the next year Rothbury um then I worked uh 
I worked artist relations. I was late night artist relations. Steve Britz and I were. We we both worked artist relations that that uh, for the late night and and it was like it was like 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 the perfect scenario for us. Like we were we knew everybody. Like we were super excited about being able to drive people things around. Like we knew a bunch of fans and stuff. We were just in the right mix at the right time. So that was like the first weekend that we got like an official job working for something that was more than just more than just kind of helping out here and there or volunteering for something. This was like a paid position within a larger festival. And, uh, and so my, my ultimate festival love production wise and stuff is Rothbury and Electric Forest, but it's, it, it's different because we don't have as much of a role there, you know, like Umphreys wise, we go there, we play a set. Uh, summer camp just feels like we're we're so ingrained with it and i mean windwest peeps is really like that's where we got so much traction um we that we we would we would we would work with u storm and basically sell u storm stuff but then we'd have midwest peep stuff and de donate back midwest peep stuff and the whole idea was so that we could have a booth that we could sell things out of at summer camp. And then we would outsell U storm by like fourfold because we'd have Midwest peep stuff flying out of there, but we would make U storm some money by doing that. And it was like, like Midwest peeps had a booth for three or four years at summer camp. So it was like that, that got us like totally on the map there, like being able to get gear out and, and moving shirts and stuff and actually selling shirts and selling hats at that point. And, um, yeah yeah that so kind of kind of a kind of like a a shared love i guess for for festivals there nice nice i've never been to rathbury unfortunately but i've heard some very sweet things about it so yeah it's pretty cool it's it's the as far as production in that forest i i it i don't think there's anything that rivals it other than other than like like i haven't been to lost lands so i haven't seen like what actually happens at lost lands um but as far as like jam band scene stuff that we get to do there's it's it's that's the top that's cool that's awesome so tell me a couple of your favorite venues then um i mean red rocks is a favorite venue it's just it's just so majestic and like it has so much going on with it um really like that place i really like uh it's it's weird because like because like I have venues that I like to go to as a fan because I really I really like going there and then and then the, and then the I find out that the production at that venue isn't as ideal as I would hope that it would be so I have like these favorite venues but they're but it's like for some reason or another it's not as ideal as 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 you'd think I don't it's so weird that way yeah. like yeah like like um a, a a venue that I always like to go to and feel like we're in something special is the Ryman. The Ryman's like a, like such a, got so much history to it. It is such a, like a cool place. Um, the Beacon kind of has that too, where it's, where it's a, where it's a, it's got a lot of mystique to it. And, and, and you feel like you're in something, you feel like you're in a special building when you're there. Um, other ones like the Crystal Ballroom, for instance, out in like, I, it's so weird there's like this like there's like this underage and then of age side of the room they like split it down the middle with this bike rack and like 
the ceiling's not very tall and it sucks to get everything up there, but I don't know why I like it. I like that the floor bounces. Like who has that? Who has a, an actual working sprung floor in their building that is part of the show? Like, I don't know. Like it's quirky. Maybe that's why I like it. It's, <laughs> it's a weird place to go to. And like, and like, you gotta do some, you gotta be really creative to get lighting in there and stuff. But I like that place. I don't know. So there's, there's, there's different ones like that too. That's um, cool. Yeah. I like that. So are there any venues that you would really love for Umphreys to play at that you, they haven't yet? I guess the bucket one, list. I saw that on the sheet. The only place that I have it on a bucket list is the Gorge. I've never been to the Gorge. I've always wanted to go to the Gorge. I've, I've only heard about it and um, that would, that would be it. That would be a spot where that'd be awesome if we could yeah. somehow do that one. Um, but other than that, no, I don't have any places where I'm like, I'm like, oh, that'd be so great. You know, um, I wish that there was, I wish that there was some better venues in Michigan that fit us better. Um, the Fillmore, the Fillmore works, but it's just not, it's not, in, it's just, a, it's getting nicer now, I guess. But I guess there's just, I, I just feel like there's, there, I wish we had something that was more mid-Michigan based that, that just because I'm so, just selfishly that I could like have a show that was closer to us that, but whatever. That's how I feel about Buffalo. Like yeah. we have the town ballroom and right. like we have the rapids, which is in Niagara falls, which is not very far from me, but yeah. like, we don't, we don't have anywhere and it sucks. That's right. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, so tell me something that might be annoying about your job. I'm, uh, <laughs> without being too, uh, I'm always, uh, the, the annoying aspect of it is that I'm the first one in and I'm the last one out and I'm pressured on, I'm always, there's always a pressure to get out of the way because you don't come first. Lighting isn't first priority. The backline is first priority. The band is first priority. And that makes sense. I'm not, I'm not bitching about that, but there's times when you, you need 10 more minutes, but you can't get them because you're done, dude. And your lighting doesn't matter. So get out of the way. And like that, sometimes that sucks, you know, yeah. or, or I'm trying to get out of some place and, and we had to do something really creative. And now my stuff just takes longer to get out of there. And, and, and it's like, what's going on? What takes so long? I'm like, I, this, this the way it goes today. I'm sorry. Um, that's that, that's about it. I mean, I mean, I, other than that, uh, I, another annoying factor to lately is that in all my, in all the years past of Umphreys, not just when I've been working for him and especially like then after I was, we brought everything in. Like we weren't like, we would tell the venue, like, take your stuff down. We're just going to put everything up. We're not going to have your lighting anywhere because it, it ultimately adds potential problems, which is what a lot of I've seen post COVID stuff has been like, we get into a venue or we get into to a rig that's been set up someplace, you know, it's, it's a house venue house, but the house might be in a field and, and their stuff doesn't talk to our stuff for whatever reason. 
there right. these five fixtures don't work well it's not my stuff so i'm not responsible for fixing it and and then now i'm waiting on you i'm waiting on you to get your stuff together so that i can get going today or i can get ben working or we've lost all this time because the rig wasn't working and it's out of my hands because i'm i'm at the mercy of someone else's organization or someone else's thing that they had set up or a festival that we weren't the priority at or it's a myriad of things that can happen that way. So I can come in with a great floor package and get it all going and be done. And then I'm there for another two hours troubleshooting something that I didn't, that I didn't have anything to do with really. Um, I, I like, I'd, I'd love to get back. I'd, it'd, it'd be, it'd be, it's a pipe dream maybe, but it would be amazing if Umphreys could get to the point where we were like it happens like like an example would be like when we do uh wing stadium in kalamazoo and and it's so it's a it's a hockey arena there's nothing in there so when we do that show we have to bring in every single aspect of the show so when we do that everything that we build that day is is basically under my under my control and my and my and my oversight so if we have something that's messing up I can, I, I can address it and deal with it right away. And we work with really good vendors that, that, that give us things that have already been tested and should all be working. And then we have spares. So we get it all up and boom, 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 and get it going. Instead of like, there's already something that's sitting there and, and you just didn't bother to tell me that you have three fixtures that are down and you didn't, you didn't bother to tell me to like halfway through the day when Ben found them. And then you're like, oh yeah, well, those aren't working or something like that. Um, that can be annoying, but it's not like, it's not, that's, that's about all I can think of. There's not a lot of annoying things to my job. Those are, that's about it. First one in last one out and, and your second best. And sometimes you have to use other people's stuff. that doesn't work. <laughs> I could see why that would be annoying when things are not communicating. It's the most frustrating thing in the world. Technology is great until it doesn't work. So. <laughs> so what is something that you're responsible for that's kind of like behind the scenes and nobody would know that's your responsibility so during second set a lot of times i take the hospitality out to the buses so okay like in the we get all the stuff and we get like like the daily we get like juices and bag of chips and you know a few things in the dressing room that that if we just leave in the dressing, like that's for us to take to the bus at the end of the day. And then we can, that's like our, our, our hospitality quote, that's the industry term. So I take the hospitality out to the buses on a pretty regular basis during second set. Um, it's not, we share it a little bit. Sometimes Sam helps out. Sometimes there's somebody else that can help out or whatever, but um, I kind of do that. And I kind of in the bus mom, like if there's something that is like not working on one of the buses i'll go assess it and figure out what's going on with it the drivers are really good about dealing with that stuff but they're not there during the shows and sometimes they don't know what the problem is so i'll step in with that engineering background and be like okay listen this is how this system works and that part's broken so you need to call the shop and tell them that that part's broken so um i like i like that part too i like knowing what's going on with the buses and kind of keeping them in line and I have my I have a system of 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 tagging them so I know when we've been on each bus and when was the last time we were on it and when who like like I know I know I got them all in a system like what buses we've ridden and so it's like oh we're back on Penelope this weekend can't wait it's looking forward to the to the broken like whatever looking forward to this or that or yeah 
I love that. That's awesome. So how does that work then with the buses? So I like don't know anything about it. So you guys like don't have your own or like you rent them. Like how very, does that work? Very, very, very few touring artists own their buses. Okay. Like, that makes like, sense. Like, like Willie a huge Nelson. Expense. Like Willie Nelson owns a bus. Okay. Like, like uh just like just like Megadeth owns a plane that they tour on. You know that, right? Like the yeah. okay. They own the plane. Well, no other no other band that would even do a tour like that would own their plane. They would rent the plane. Like it's it's a very rare deal that any act at whatever size actually owns what they're right. I shouldn't say that. Smaller, smaller size stuff. A lot of times we'll buy that first motorhome and then it dies and then they start renting something. Um, but uh, but it's it's just industry standard because there's so much upkeep, overhead, all the all the things that have to do with the, with buses and all, you know there's there's a lot to it. And then you say you do get this really great bus. Well, ten years later, it's not a great bus, and now you have this huge expense again. So it kind of gets built into everybody's budget, whatever the level they're they're at that they're going to rent they're going to rent what they need to accomplish, to complete their tour. So that's where it started with Humphreys and, and me and merch is we were renting one bus at that time and we had the budget for one bus and, um, and through efforts with merch and making things grow and, and us growing as well, then there was a point where we could afford to have two buses. So that's kind of, that's how buses work. It's not a, it's not like we buy them or something like that. And it's not like, it's like, this is, this is standard. Like, the, the, the band gets a nice bus and then we get one that's a couple clicks down from that. Sometimes we get a really nice one because they'll have them in stock and no one else is touring. And then sometimes everybody's touring and we'll be on some kind of thing that came out of the back lot. But we, we're on a bus. So it's like, shut up. You could be worse. But um, for sure. Uh, so it's it, but it's a it's a budgetary thing, band to band to band, and and ninety or plus percent all rent their own stuff. Or rent Makes sense. Yeah. Makes sense. I thought so, but I never uh, never asked. So that's cool. So that's so, where it comes into like like oh I've been on this one before. Oh, I remember this one. Yeah, this was <laughs> that makes sense. This was three years ago in the spring or something like that. <laughs> and you're like, oh yeah, there's the squeaky spot on the cushion. <laughs> yeah. <totally. laughs> So what is one of your favorite Umphreys originals to hear live? All in time is my favorite. Nice. nice. I know it seems cliche. I mean, I like Puppet a lot. Um, I've been uh, I've been digging a lot of the new stuff too. Um, I suck at names, so I'm not even going to try. But uh, I do, I do, I do. All in time is my favorite. That's nice. my, that's, that, that's my, like, bringing it back home every time. Yeah, it's that's just such a great tune. Um, what is a tune that you would like to hear them cover? Oh shit, I just had it. Oh, I, oh, I would I dare to what was it? I don't know. I like I like anything that I like I like I like when they do like the like the not cliche but like like a song from the 70s that should be in spinal tap but it's not and they took themselves seriously and then like made like actually like did the song like right james dio kind of stuff or whatever just like totally over the top 
like 70s spinal tap style something but it doesn't really like like it's a joke but it's not a joke but it's yeah it is it's not really like that's <laughs> that's that's what i that's what i think are awesome covers or or ideas of covers or things that i laugh about um i mean i i uh I feel like I've I feel like I've seen them cover so much and covered like like I don't really have something that I'm like dying to hear them cover. I had one I don't remember what it was. I was on some kind of kick and I had found this one song that I thought would be hilarious to play for Umbol and it was like it it was it was I don't remember. Sorry, bad story. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but yeah, something I just like funny cover. I like stuff that that you're not supposed to take seriously. Yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to have, have a good time. That's what it's about. Right. I'm so here for that for sure. So being off of work for what it was like eight months or something or something crazy in 2020. So what being off that amount of time, what did that teach you? What did you kind of get your experience from, from not being able to tour like that and kind of music changing and all that? It taught me, um, taught me some relationship things for sure, because I've been, been on the road a lot more than, than, a lot more than I was at that, you know, like th at that point, and 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 my wife and I hadn't really ever spent that amount of time just together. Like we had always been, had always had that time apart, and then I come back home, and then we have that time apart, and then I come back home, because I met her when I was working for Humphreys, so. Um, now I'm home like the whole time. And it changed, definitely changed the dynamic of us and how our relationship was. Made me appreciate, um, made me appreciate being able to get out on the road and get to do the things that I get to do and go the places that I get to go. But it also made me kind of um, look inward some more and just appreciate all the things that I have. Like the fact that like, I, yeah, I was out of work for eight months and, and I mean, we were, I was lucky enough to be able to get unemployment and, and it's okay. Like, it's okay. Like I, I didn't, I didn't get so negatively affected. There's so many people that have had much, much, much more trying times and difficulties and things. So I guess I learned to like, not like, not, I wasn't, I, I wasn't like wallowing around like, Oh, I wish it would change. This sucks. And I, um, there was a point where I was down about it, but I definitely, um, I feel like I came out of it with some more, with a different plan about the future and just kind of appreciate what I got and that things will work out however they're going to work out. And I gotta, you gotta be able to, you gotta be able to see that, that like sometimes, sometimes just, just the amount of money that you make and, and, and where you're at in life doesn't really matter as much as like life and just having it and being able to appreciate it with the people that you're around. So make that more important than trying to get to the next spot. Definitely. I like that. So if you could work for any other band in history on their crew, who would it be? I said Megadeth. Nice. I think it'd be so rad to work for Megadeth just because they're like, they're like, they load their show out into a jet plane and then and fly to the next gig. And like, they got, it's gotta be such a machine. Like it's gotta be so, and they're, they, they, I, I get the impression that the crew is like, you know, like 
they all have known each other forever. Like there's a family aspect to it, that they're not like a cutthroat group that they all, that even though their imagery makes them look like they're super hardcore, like they're just a family of dudes. And like, and I, and I, 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 I'd, I'd love to be in on that group. I think that would be, I think that'd be badass. <laughs> yeah, it probably would be. <laughs> I love that. All right. So the only other question I have is memorable, fan experience oh memorable fan yeah memorable fan. all right i'll tell you i'll tell you a here's a, it's not necessarily a fan story but it's it's uh it's it's my fan story and it's another fan and so in 2000 2001 i was in college and i was seeing fish and if 99 2000 i was seeing fish in 2001 they take a hiatus and Prior to that, I was like, don't talk to me about any other music. I don't know what it is, but I don't care. I listen to Fish, and that's the only thing I care about, so don't try to talk to me about anything else. And and my buddy was all about Humphreys and was, like, trying to feed me CDs and stuff, and I was like, poo-poo. And then he was graduating, and he had basically built out this trip, and the dude that was supposed to go with him on the trip didn't want to go. So, so I'm like, all right, I'll do this trip with you because I don't have anything else to do this summer, I guess. I'll do this Humphreys trip. And uh, prior to that, I went to Memorial Day weekend. I went to Black River Falls, Wisconsin, and saw a Big Woo Family Reunion, and Humphreys played a set, and they played Regulate. And after, like, a set of rock, and then I saw, like, them, like, drop Regulate. And at that time, that was, like, a huge song. I'm like, what? Like, this is this is pretty cool. I Maybe I like this. So then I, and they like did it good because I was all about, I liked fish covers and stuff. And like to hear like them do like a Warren G regulate and it's not their style regulate. It's as close to regulate as they can get. I'm like, that's cool. So, so I, I went on that tour. I met a couple guys in, in Black River Falls. They lived out West. I met up with them prior to the Eugene show and they had a buddy and we went over to their buddy's house before the show. And by the end of the night, I ended up crashing on that dude's couch. His name's Rob. And I uh, saw a few more shows with him. We went to high, we did Dexter Lake and a couple other things. And I hung out with him at high Sierra too. I was still hanging out with my buddy, but then Rob was also there and it was like meeting this new best friend. And we catch up with each other for a number of years, but I never went back out West and he didn't come to the Midwest. So like we kind of lost touch over, I don't know, a few years, like, like at the point in time when we had met, he had given me his mother's phone number. Like I, here's my mom's phone number in case we get like, connect, disconnect, like you can call her and get connected to me again. I'm like, okay, awesome. Like, yes, dude. And I just never, it just didn't happen. I didn't never, like I said, I didn't go back out and he didn't come over here. So we just didn't, we didn't connect again. Fast forward to holidays, 20, holidays 20 like 14 it must have been because i was working but it was a night that i didn't have to it had to have been like holidays 2013 or 2014 and and i'm like i like i'm like cruising up the beach it was like a night that i had off and i was partying a little and i'm cruising up the beach I, I wanted to get a drink or i wanted to go to the bathroom and i'm like hurrying and i and I ran, I bump into somebody, but like, kind of like, like not just like brush across, like I ran into him and I, and I was like, oh, sorry. And as I said, sorry, and I was backing up and I, sorry, a piece of spittle flew out of my mouth 
and flew through the air and I saw it and he saw it and it landed in his mouth. And we both realized that it happened at the same time. Okay. Boom. We like separate, like I'm like horrified. It's like in slow motion. And at the same moment that that happened, we both recognized each other again. So it had been 10 plus years that we hadn't seen each other. And in the horrible, horrifying moment of spitting in someone else's mouth on accident, I'm like, Rob? And he's like, Louie? And we just were like, And we've uh, kept in touch ever since. And he came over for the shows in in Pontiac this past, whatever what it was in june or july whenever those just happened yeah he came over for Pontiac shows stayed at my house and and we've we've kept in touch ever since that time but but uh i guess yeah. that's my that's my best fan story i love that so much that's great that was a really great one <laughs> i'm glad we came back to that <laughs> i had to think of a good one <laughs> that was good one. <laughs> awesome well this has been so much fun Good. I'm glad. I, I've been looking forward to having a conversation with you. And uh, and uh, we were like in the middle of a remodeling project today. Uh, and, I, and I was like, there's just, it's, it, it, this is how it's going to be. I'm going to ultimately have things going on no matter what. So I'm going to just stop what I'm doing. We're going to have this conversation. And yeah, it's been great. I mean, it's nice to put that all on, the, I'll pull that all out there because that's who I am. That's me. That's what's up. <laughs> For sure. This is really, really great. It's been a, it's been a tough two weeks for me personally. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with you and talking about all this stuff and getting to know you better too. This is awesome. Cool. Cool. Well, it's nice to get to know you as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, have a great rest of your week and weekend. You have a little bit of time off until that Midwest-ish tour next month. So So that's everything I have for this week of the show. Thank you again to Louie for taking the time. I really appreciate it. There are a bunch of links in the show notes for more info about the tour dates that I shared at the top of the show, as well as where you can snag your tickets and for anything else that I may have mentioned throughout this episode. Also in the show notes, you'll find the DATC pod vault stuffed with a ton, so many past episodes for you to binge on, where you can get your subscription to Crooked Conversations, shop the DATC store, and so much more. So make sure you check all of that out. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you around these parts next week. Mad love.